good morning and welcome to day 28 and episode 28 of Dry Jan Like a Sober Rebel. I'm Louisa Evans and I'm a cognitive behavioural hypnotherapist and this series has been designed to accompany you on this first month of sobriety just to give you food for thought in different areas and today's episode is an area that fascinates me and it's something I've been reading more and more and more about in sobriety and that's the subject of sleep. As a sleep-deprived mum of a toddler who insists on climbing into bed with us in the middle of the night most nights, my husband and I don't get enough sleep. That's a given. But what's really fascinated me in sobriety are some of the elements of sleep. I've learned more and more about why we sleep, what's needed from sleep, and also what happens if we're not getting quality sleep. Because for years, I thought I was sleeping really well. I was going to bed, I wasn't waking up, I didn't have a problem falling asleep, and when I wasn't interrupted by a baby, I can happily manage to sleep straight through. And we have touched on this subject in an earlier episode where we talked about the way that alcohol disrupts our sleep because that's a reason a lot of people will tell you they drink to help them sleep. But also that sleep can take a while to settle down in early sobriety as your body is rebalancing. So you're nearly now a full month sober. And so you may find that if you have had problems with sleep in early sobriety, it's starting to settle down, but everybody's different. I just thought it was such a fascinating subject that it might be worth an episode of its own. When you look at all the research that's done into our health and well-being, there isn't as much done into some areas of sleep as into some of the other functions that we do as human beings. And it has been thought of up until more recently as more of a passive activity that we do, even though we spend a third of our lives doing it, there's been a lot of misunderstanding. So in reading all of the books I've read about sleep, and also in the fact that I do help people in clinic with insomnia, sleep issues, overthinking before bed, there is so much more to sleep than meets the eye. And I think there's so much more we're going to learn. And I think there's so much more we need to learn about it. I was personally unwittingly underestimating how much my sleep was being impacted by alcohol because, as I say, it seemed like I was getting enough of it. My biggest challenge when it came to sleep, I thought, was actually work and children. But having deep delved into this topic over the last couple of years, really, but more recently in the last year, there are two books I highly recommend one is specifically on sleep, and I've mentioned it before in this series. It's called Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. And the other is slightly off topic, and it's called Stolen Focus by Johan Hari. And he looks at the science of why we're finding it harder and harder to pay attention. But he's got a whole section in his book dedicated to the importance of sleep when it comes to concentration. In Matthew Walker's book, he has a paragraph where he says, Scientists have discovered a revolutionary new treatment that makes you live longer. It enhances your memory, makes you more attractive. It keeps you slim and lowers food cravings. It protects you from cancer and dementia. It wards off colds and flu. It lowers your risk of heart attacks and stroke. 
not to mention diabetes. You'll even feel happier, less depressed and less anxious. Are you interested? And of course, what he's talking about there is sleep. But what's scary is how much a lack of sleep impacts on us on so many levels, but also how drinking alcohol can change our sleep patterns and disrupt the most important activities that are necessary when we're sleeping, because although it may seem very passive, it's an active activity for our bodies. And when you've got that lack of quality sleep, and notice I'm using the word quality sleep, because I was getting sleep, I just wasn't getting quality sleep, alcohol was affecting that, things like your concentration will deteriorate, you're more likely to struggle with your weight, you could have higher blood pressure, there could be a plethora of health issues. The good news is when you sleep more and have better quality sleep, which you're going to be doing in sobriety as everything settles down, you will be repairing a lot of the damage. One of the topics that fascinates me more than anything, because I do struggle to concentrate, and yes, I could blame a short attention span, or I could just look at the fact my attention is constantly being pulled on and drawn on with so many different television channels and short news bursts and the nature of social media and quick bits of information being thrust at me without any depth to them. So why does attention span really matter? Aside from the fact that I want to be more productive, I want to have more focus in my day because it's important for me, because I want to be truly present. I want to be able to sit and still my mind to meditate. I know that one of the things that increases dopamine is getting lost in a flow activity, a flow state where you're engrossed and you're losing track of time. Think of a painter painting something and focusing on that subject matter so intently. Or somebody climbing a mountain, focused on getting to the top. It's in those activities that you're connecting with the things that really make us happy. Flitting from Twitter to Facebook to Instagram to news channels, to my emails, to my text messages, they aren't going to make me feel fulfilled. If anything, they're training my brain to spend its time constantly running around like an overactive, hyperactive puppy. So this subject of sleep was fascinating when I realised how much sleep is needed to help us focus and concentrate, aside from all the other reasons it's important. Because it's an active process, as I've already said. One of the things that's happening in sleep is your brain is clearing itself of waste that's accumulated during the day. During slow wave sleep, your cerebral spinal fluid opens up more and removes metabolic waste from your brain. Every night when you go to sleep, your brain is almost rinsed clean, flushing out those toxic proteins and then being carried down to your liver to get rid of them. I, I'm not a biologist, I'm not a chemist, I'm not a doctor. But that made me think, well, if that's a function during my sleep to cleanse my brain and my liver is then responsible for processing that, what happens if my liver's clogged up with alcohol, aside from all the other things it could be doing to my sleep and my health? What happens to those toxins then? If you don't have good sleep and good quality sleep, the body doesn't get a chance to do some of those things that's so essential. The other factor is that the brain only has limited energy available. And so it chooses between two different states, awake and aware, 
or asleep and cleaning up, repairing, regenerating. In Johann Hari's book, he describes it as the difference between actively hosting a party or clearing up after the guests. You can't do both at once. And a clogged brain is less able to function and concentrate. So quite simply, sleeping is repairing. Your energy levels are restored and replenished. The prefrontal cortex, the judgment area of the brain, is particularly susceptible to sleep loss. So even with one bad night of sleep or impacted sleep, that part of the brain isn't using glucose, which is the energy source for the brain. And without that, you can't think clearly. You can't make good judgments. And of course, we dream when we're asleep. And dreams fascinate me. Because in sobriety, I dream more. I can remember them more. I dream more vividly. They are wild. And there's actually some scientific evidence to suggest that dreaming helps you to adapt more effectively to your waking events. So they help us process those stressful situations without any stress hormones flooding our system. Whereas if we were awake and facing some of these things, we'd be in that fight or flight side of the autonomic nervous system. And there is one theory to suggest that over time, this could help us handle stress more effectively. It's like an imaginal rehearsal and systematically desensitizing ourselves to those triggers There's evidence both to support that theory and to contradict it, but it's worth just considering it could be true for a moment. And at the very least, alcohol was affecting our ability to dream, because dreaming happens mostly in REM sleep. And if you chemically induce sleep, either with drugs or with alcohol, it just isn't as effective. You're anaesthetised rather than sleep being that active process that it needs to be. And it's a really important balance of many, many neurotransmitters. There's a lot more going on than just us being unconscious for a third of our life. Knocking yourself out with alcohol is essentially like taking a minor anaesthetic. And I can talk about this from experience because I have a smartwatch, an Apple watch. Other watches are available. But that watch records my sleep and the stages of sleep. I'm not quite sure how it does it, but it's very, very fascinating. And I took my sleep as a drinker and compared it with my sober sleep. And what I actually found was I compared a night where I'd had quite a lot of broken sober sleep because my toddler was up. I thought, let's give it a really difficult challenge to compare the two. Technically, over the whole night, I'd slept the same amount of time, but... In my sober sleep, I'd been woken up more. However, I still achieved nearly two hours of REM sleep over the whole night compared to drunken sleep, 40 minutes. And in my drunken sleep, I wasn't woken as much. I thought I had a good night's sleep, but the quality of that sleep wasn't good. And the other thing I noted was that the deep sleep, which is another very important stage, in my drunken sleep was 30 minutes over the night and in my sober sleep that was an hour and six minutes and when I compare the data pretty much consistently those are the results I'm getting it's more than doubling my REM sleep and doubling my deep sleep every night regardless of if I'm being woken up so even if we think alcohol is helping us sleep 
it's really important to let go of that myth and to help us understand. And there's scientific evidence there. You can read any number of books or look at studies. It's impacting the quality of it in so many levels. So we won't be getting the benefit, even if we do end up having a good 10 hours nursing a hangover into the morning. Matthew Walker's book, Why We Sleep, is absolutely brilliant. He outlines the different types of sleep and why they're important. And so to understand, every night your brain switches between REM and NREM sleep, which is non-rapid eye movement and rapid eye movement sleep. So non-rapid eye movement sleep is characterised by deep, slow brain waves that are 10 times slower than when you're awake. And during non-rapid eye movement sleep, we experience a sensory blackout and our cortex, the logical centre of our brain, is relaxed. So your entire brain is now fully aligned to distill and transfer those selected memories from your short-term memory in your frontal lobes to your long-term memory at the back of your brain. Whereas rapid eye movement sleep is characterised by faster brainwave activity that's similar to when you're awake, your brain's visual, motor, memory and emotional centres are activated and pockets of feelings, information, memories, motivations are combined into a giant movie, or in other words, your dreams, and your eyes may move rapidly as you dream. So when we're awake, we constantly receive new sensory inputs from the external environment. Non-rapid eye movement sleep reinforces and stores those raw data and skills into our long-term memory. REM sleep integrates all these ingredients by connecting them with one another and with our past experiences and our knowledge to improve our mental model of how the world works, our understanding of it, so that we can develop new insights and solve problems innovatively. And I wonder if that's why we sometimes have drinking dreams as sober people. It's a fascinating subject. I've not read enough on it. I don't know if there's any information on it out there. But I wonder why often I may dream that I've had a drink and I'm processing how disappointed I'd feel and I wake up and it takes me a moment then to let that feeling go. Maybe that's a part of my brain processing and just reminding me on a very, very deep level that I don't want to do that showing me the consequences, playing it out in my mind. So when it comes to sleep as well, and the difference between being awake or sleepy, that's regulated by two key factors. One is your circadian rhythm and adenosine levels. The circadian rhythm is your internal body clock that runs on an approximate 24-hour cycle. And that's regulated by melatonin, which is produced by the, and let's see if I can pronounce this properly, suprachiasmatic nucleus in the brain which calibrates your body clock using the amount of light and adenosine is the chemical that then makes you sleepy it builds up progressively when you're awake and then most people will feel that pressure to want to go to sleep after being awake for about 12 to 18 hours and that level then decreases as you sleep and is usually purged fully from your system after eight hours of sleep so ideal sleep patterns, Matthew Walker says, generally an adult human needs eight hours of sleep. An ideal sleep pattern is a stretch of seven to eight hours at a night with a short afternoon nap 
to address the natural dip in alertness we can have in the afternoon. Yet, most of us, and in most modern societies, we only sleep for a stretch of less than seven hours each night, so we're not sleeping enough, and we haven't factored in that afternoon nap. Unless you're in Europe and having a siesta, it's an incredibly healthy way to live. Sleep is basically the ultimate mood enhancer and it provides so many benefits that medicine or any other interventions just can't. In Why We Sleep, the book, there is a breakdown of exactly how sleep impacts all the aspects of your mental, emotional and physical health. So just to overview here some of the areas it impacts. Sleep benefits the brain with three main cognitive benefits. The first is improved memory. The second is improved motor task proficiency or muscle memory. And the third is improved creativity. REM sleep connects your different memories, your experiences and skills to create new ideas and insights. And dreams deliver real benefits. REM sleep and dreams can reduce the pain from traumatic events. They can help us to decode facial expressions accurately and improve problem solving and creativity. And as I've suggested, I still think drinking dreams are a way for you to process and reaffirm your decision to stay sober. So when we're sleep deprived, the quality of the sleep or even just the amount of sleep, it harms the brain because it impairs memory. It worsens your focus and your concentration. It worsens your emotional control. It can play a role in mental illnesses from psychiatric conditions right the way through to Alzheimer's disease. And it doesn't stop there. Sleep deprivation harms the body. It damages every aspect of our physiology and is linked to a shorter lifespan and a host of diseases like cancer and heart diseases. And that's because it severely impacts your cardiovascular system, your metabolism, your reproductive system. But if you want to find out more, Matthew Walker has got all the evidence-based references and research in there to back up these statements. This isn't me saying this. This is actually from his book. So the crux of it is, on average, it's thought that half of all adults in developed countries aren't getting the recommended hours of sleep. And what I think is even more concerning is if that sleep is being aided in any way, it isn't quality sleep. For me, realising this, pardon the pun, has been an eye-opener. I help people look at things like sleep hygiene if they're insomniac when they come to my clinic. And there are ways you can do that by getting blackout curtains. You can make sure that your bedroom is free from all electronic devices that you're not using your bedroom space, if you can, to watch television or to study. You're only using it for sleep so that your mind and body have that muscle memory and that association with entering that room being to go to sleep. The other thing that you can do if you are struggling to sleep in early sobriety or at any time is actually to warm up your body the surface temperature of your skin. So have a hot bath or a hot shower before you go to bed, drawing the heat to the skin surface so that you're cooling your core body temperature. Another thing that you can do is actually have a hot drink. But my nan always used to swear by hot milk before bed. It's a really good way to get your body into that sleepy state. And sleep isn't something you try or do 
You don't have to actively get yourself to sleep. If you're struggling, you can listen to a relaxation or a hypnosis just before bed to really let your body and systems relax down. If you're struggling with overthinking, there are things that you can do in that instance. But actually, hot drink or hot bath, keeping a routine, keeping all electronic devices out of the bedroom, only using your bedroom for sleep, will help your mind and body to get that association in place and work with your body's natural systems to signal to it that you're ready to go to bed. But wherever you read, if you're reading about sleep issues, the one piece of advice is don't consume alcohol close to bedtime. All sources will quote, it's a sedative that actively disrupts your REM sleep and it will cause you to wake up through the night even if you don't realise it, but for me it was causing 3am, 4am wake-ups towards the end of my drinking. So I find it fascinating in sobriety to look at all the jigsaw pieces of our lives that contribute to good mental, emotional and physical health. And sleep being something that we do a third of our time is something I took for granted. I've had clients who've struggled with sleep and it becomes an obsession because it's something they so desperately want. I've always felt incredibly lucky, but how I was sabotaging it over those years, how I was taking it for granted and not allowing my body that proper relaxation and restorative sleep that it needed. So if you are only doing dry January, this is the point to really sit down and think, how helpful is alcohol to my life? Do I really want to reintroduce it? What would happen if I extended this alcohol-free stint to 90 days? And for anyone doing this, and this is the start of their sobriety journey, I can assure you, it only gets better. Better and better as the months tick by. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you need any support with your mental health, or if you need to talk to someone, please do reach out. There are so many organisations out there, and if in doubt, just talk to your doctor. If you'd like to find out more about my sober journey, you can follow me on social media at Stepping Into Sobriety. You can listen to my book on Audible called Becoming a Sober Rebel. Or if you'd like to try hypnosis or you'd like to find out about working with me one-to-one in therapy, you can visit my website and the link to that is in the show notes. You can also use the code SOBERREBEL, all one word, to buy one get one free on all self-hypnosis downloads in my shop on that website so well done again and i'll catch you tomorrow